1: All right, welcome everyone back to another edition of New Books in Education. This is your host Orion Allen. After a brief hiatus for the holidays and school and some uh dropped connections from some authors, I'm happy to be back and I'm happy to bring you a book that I think is that's going to be of interest to uh, our audience. Uh and this is we have today Dr. William Smith, The Global Testing Culture Shaping Education Policy perce- uh, Perceptions and Practices. And this is 2016 Symposium Books, uh, and Dr. Smith is a senior associate with Results Educational Fund, where he's developing the right to Education Index. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about that as well. Uh, Dr. Smith, thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks for having me. All right. Uh, if you could, maybe just give us a little uh, background on yourself, uh, uh, so maybe you, where you studied, how you got into education. Uh,
0: sure, uh, and- sure. Yeah. Um, okay, so I've I feel like I've either been a uh, education researcher, teacher, or student for my whole life. Um, so I actually my my first graduate degree was in teaching. Um, it was in secondary social studies, and I actually my first career was as a secondary school teacher. And so I spent six years um, really in the heart of No Child Left Behind mm. from two thousand three to two thousand nine. Uh, As a secondary school teacher, I taught in charter schools. I taught in urban schools. It was quite a variety across a couple of different states. Um, But I've always been interested in in really international development. And so uh, that was peaked through part of my bachelor's in sociology at Portland State. Um, And when I was uh, teaching in Denver, we were next to uh, the Joseph Corbell School, which is a wonderful school for international studies. Um, And so I had the opportunity to go back and get a master's in international development there. And uh, and there, I got connected with a professor named Devin Joshi, who uh, continued to kind of pique my interest on education, international development, and education, economic, social development, all these different issues. Uh, and I went straight from uh, the University of Denver to Penn State University, uh, where I worked under Dr. David Baker, and we talked and looked a lot more about kind of the broader effects of education on a globalized society. And uh, throughout all this. Um, my interests were on how education really pushes development or can stall it both at the national and and at the individual level. So how education could move somebody up uh, on the social mobility chain, but it could also get them stuck there. And a lot of it depends on the the practices and policies that are in place. And so um, my emphasis around testing, so this book, uh, my dissertation around national testing policies, I've got a lot of work coming out uh, from a fellowship, Thomas Johnson Thomas J. Alexander Fellowship from the OECD um, around national testing policies. And all this was really uh, pushed throughout the last 10, 15 years where uh, as a teacher during No Child Left Behind, where they had really strict accountability practices that uh, were basically where schools were uh, being shut down or turned over if you weren't testing well enough, Uh, I thought it was interesting that they would have a policy set up where um, it would encourage educators, teachers, uh, principals, superintendent, and staff in the system. And in the process of gaming the system, we were losing emphasis on whole groups of students. Uh, so, for example, as a, as a teacher, I would go through a professional development. Um, and let's say it's the fall. Uh, we are just getting test scores back from our students and we have a new group of students, it's, I was a secondary teacher, so ninth grade students, we'd get test scores back, and we'd sit down in professional development, take a look at the test scores, and the way No Child Left Behind would sit is that we would uh, we'd try to hit a proficiency mark, so let's say 70% on a test. And, uh, and so we'd sit down and look at test scores, and we'd say, okay, those students that are scoring above 85% last year, we don't need to worry about them. They're going to be fine. So we totally forget about them. And those those students that are scoring below 50%, they really don't have a chance to get to the 70% barrier. So we're going to forget about them. And this is called hugging the middle, um, where all of our focus goes on that group that could reach the proficiency barrier or slide just below it. So all of our efforts and resources and energy was put towards this group, and we forget about everybody, and especially the lowest scoring, which didn't make any sense for me. Why do we have policies in place where we're encouraging educators to forget about students that need it most?
1: Yeah. Wow. So that's, I mean, this is definitely personal to you, this, this book publication. That's fantastic. Um, and and so you really take that, I think, that sort of uh, testing culture, and you in this book, you're you're the editor, and, you, and, you, and you're situated in sort of this uh, global discourse. Um, can you kind of talk about how uh, you, you you have the book is contributors from all over the world. Can you kind of talk about how it how it came together and and uh, uh, you, you sort of describe the diversity of, of some of the authors that you have?
0: Um. So I am. Um, uh, so the, the book came together. Um, <clears throat> really, somebody passed me the call for books, and I was in the middle of um, of my fellowship with. Uh, with the OECD at the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, so somebody knew that I was doing a lot around testing, thought it would be an interesting subject. Uh, It's actually Devin Joshi, the individual I worked with at the University of Denver, uh, passed that along to me. And uh, I mean, I I think that the global testing culture affects so many different aspects of uh, a society at large. It's not just education, but it's how businesses operate. It's how families operate. It's what's valued in society. Uh, that, that that's where the thoughts came behind. And then I started looking at uh, and reaching out to individuals that, you know, I, I was in the middle of doing a lot of research on this, reaching out to really well-established individuals in the field, uh, as well as some kind of up-and-coming uh, researchers that I've seen at, uh, at conferences that I really thought that they understood at least it had a really good uh, grasp on what was happening within their country. So it, it became a very interesting collaborative effort. I think I've got authors from over seven countries um, on this, and it's quite a mix of individuals that uh, that I think people in the field would immediately recognize: um, Anthony Somerset and uh, Angeline Barrett, to kind of some of the newer individuals, uh, David Ballwitz and uh, Brent Edwards. There's and to some that are even still in their PhD program. So I tried to make a nice mix of of authors um, that really can
1: provide global this yeah that's fantastic I think you really get the sense that you're sort of pulling from all these different areas so I think that's really uh, an advantage here um, if you could maybe just set us up with with uh, sort of some of the theory behind it. I know sometimes you know we're talking on the on a podcast about theory but if you could uh, I think world culture theory is particularly important for this book and, and even this phenomenon um, so can you kind of talk about maybe just briefly what what that is and then how that sort of uh, inhibited global global testing?
0: Yeah. Okay. So, uh, world culture will uh, try to do this somewhat simply. Uh, um, sure. So, world culture is is one of the uh, uh, I guess it is under this larger umbrella of neo institutionalism. And my uh, the world culture theory really is a descriptive theory <clears throat> that tries to describe what the culture looks like. And focus attention on describing the culture, not necessarily the individuals in the culture. And since I saw this as the power of a culture shaping society, I thought that was essential that we we're looking at the overall culture, what the assumptions are, what the values are, what the uh, cultural norms, models are, instead of which individuals are doing what. Now, it's been criticized because it doesn't focus on the power of individual actors. Um, and as we all know, I mean, culture benefits some groups over others. Uh, And it's not something criticized for not concerning itself as much with the outcomes of the culture. So I think what I try to do here is I try to say, okay, we're going to describe the culture. We're going to look at what are the core assumptions of the culture, what are the values and the cultural norms of the culture, and then I kind of put it towards the rest of the authors to say, okay, what are the actors that are playing in this culture at the national and international level, and what are some of the outcomes they're looking at? So I try to understand the weaknesses of world culture theory do my initial description of the culture, and then really, um, I think the rest of the authors do a great job of providing a rich description of what it looks like at the national and
1: international level. Fantastic. And uh, if we could, it seems like I I get the sense that sort of the epicenter, patient zero, maybe if you will, of of, Mm -hmm. uh, of sort of this testing uh, culture comes from thinking about, Reagan's America and Thatcher's UK is is that is that a would you say that's a correct uh, statement kind of grew from there or can you talk
0: about that a little bit
1: um i yeah i think so
0: in in a uh previous article i have out in education policy analysis archives i talk about the global transformation towards testing for accountability mm-hmm. and uh and so most of my emphasis although the global testing culture focuses on accountability at both Uh, or high stakes of both the students and the teachers, most of my concern is when teachers and educators are being held accountable Mm -hmm. and what that means because they have the opportunity to really affect a whole classroom at once, Uh, where high stakes on students really affects the student and the family, which is important, but it doesn't have the same potential to really disperse throughout a classroom. Mm -hmm. Um, And so in in that article um, and in some other work, I do talk a lot about kind of the new right movement in the 1980s with Reagan and Thatcher in the UK and the importance of that. And how really you've got neoliberalism and neoconservatism uh, combining to say, okay, well, we need, to, <clears throat> we need to quantify this. We need to make it um, objective. And then at the same time, we need to make sure that the right individuals are held accountable and it's not something that's uh, done at the, the national level. So decentralization is important with this. Uh, the idea that we're going to decentralize. And then once we decentralize, we need to make sure that everything's held at the same level. And so you create standardized tests. Um, to make sure decentralization is holding education at the same level. Um, And then, obviously, the ideas of neoliberalism are behind a lot of this, the idea that we're going to quantify uh, in a, quote, objective measure of education, and then we're going to provide information to parents that are then going to be able to use that information to make informed decisions, and the competition of the market is going to decide what schools fail and which ones succeed. Mm -hmm. So I, I think you're right that a lot of this starts uh, from kind of the movement in the 1980s. And uh, and I talk a lot more about that in my education policy analysis archive.
1: Okay. Yeah. And uh, you know, thinking about, you know, that's sort of some of the origins potentially, um, and if we're talking about then some of the mechanisms or some of the global actors that are spreading uh, spreading this different culture. So we have things like education for all or new development goals, but then also the, these large... Organizations such as World Bank or International Monetary Fund. Can you talk about how these organizations are, or how these initiatives uh, help to spread um, this this culture?
0: Yes, I think. Um, Why well, I, I think both of them actually just help to legitimize like this is they help define what quality education mm. is and how to measure quality education. And that's one of the issues we have as a sector is uh, quality education is really so so diverse and so complex mm-hmm. um, that it's really hard to measure. And so it ends up being simplified into very easily quantifiable measures. Right. And I think what what uh, Education for All or the Millennium Development Goals, Sustainable Development Goals are trying to get to indicators that are easy to track over time and quality isn't easy to track over time. And so you end up really uh, getting it down to where it's just test scores. Uh, when we look at international organizations like the World Bank, Uh, So Brent Edwards' chapter here on Educo in El Salvador talks about how, uh, basically the World Bank used the, uh, somewhat selective results from Educo in El Salvador, which was a small community-based, uh, accountability model to show that, yes, this type of parent pressuring schools, teachers, uh, model based on test student test scores is the appropriate way to hold schools accountable. And then you saw that model, uh, and those results really being picked up by a really diverse group of actors. So UNESCO uses the World Bank, which has maybe two publications on this. And those one or two publications end up spreading throughout UNESCO, throughout Save the Children, throughout actors that aren't usually associated with the World Bank. Uh, another example, uh, just because I have a better understanding of the World Bank than sure. some other actors, is sure. uh, the World Bank's spare mechanism, uh, which is their voluntary assessment um, of education systems, so countries can take it, but the fact that the World Bank is the largest investor in education in the developing world um, really means that when you take uh, an evaluation like Severe as a country, even though it's voluntary, the results are published, and they're going to grade you on that voluntary assessment. Mm -hmm. And better believe that countries are paying attention to their voluntary scores. Mm -hmm. Now, part of the system's approach uh, to better education results or severe for the World Bank is evaluating their assessment system, Mm -hmm. evaluating their testing system. And so they go through and you are, uh, at least in the initial model, you were downgraded if you weren't participating in these international assessments. Mm -hmm. You are downgraded if you weren't holding national assessments that were standardized and census-based. So there's a lot of pressure, normative pressure coming from these organizations on helping define what makes quality
1: education and measure quality education. Sure. Can you talk about any of the uh, sort of local pushback and some of the the responses that have been saying, no, we're not going to join or or sort of what are the consequences um, on the ground?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that there is an increasing pushback and so Uh, When you look at at accountability, there's kind of a range of intensity uh, on accountability around testing, right? So you can have uh, what I call a punitive model, which is the United States uh, model during No Child Left Behind, where you're really sanctioning schools based on student test scores Mm -hmm. that are aggregated at the school level. And you have what I call an evaluative model, which maybe is a little less intense, which is more of an England model where you're looking at league tables, school report cards, and then parents are evaluating schools and Right. Uh, that market mechanism is going in place. Um, so I, I do think we're seeing a little bit of a pushback. We are moving towards more punitive model globally, but there's been some pushback and withdrawal even within uh, the United Kingdom and within the U.S. Um, you've seen a little bit of, of pushback. Now, what's interesting is that those countries are still pushing the rest of the world towards more accountability as we're kind of seeing uh, where we're at. Uh, and so the, the pushback—I mean, there's there's been a huge testing backlash in the United States um, mm-hmm. here, <clears throat> where you've really seen uh, an opt-out movement, where parents are, uh, you know, choosing to keep their kids out of school, and using kind of their right as a parent to do that. Schools can't argue too much with that um, in most states, and and so that's that's been increasing. Uh, I think Obama's most recent, so the most recent reauthorization of the ESEA Act um, moves us past No Child Left Behind a little bit, uh, to where the Act does talk about limiting the amount of uh, classroom time uh, on testing. Um, it talks about reducing unnecessary tests, but at the same time, it also says that the federally mandated tests from No Child Left Behind are maintained. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's interesting, what what is a unnecessary test, and it's definitely not the test that the federal government is mandating uh, and, and it also keeps a lot of this links between student test scores and uh, and teacher evaluations mm-hmm. uh, one of the more interesting pushbacks I think is uh, is the chapter on, on by Pearl Chung and uh Wu che mm-hmm. and in the uh, volume and they're looking at South Korea South Korea has traditionally been a very high achieving country it's one that the United States will look towards to say okay what are they doing that we can actually uh, replicate and what was interesting, between 2003 and 2009, uh, they actually started taking on very much a no-child-left-behind model. So they started adopting something for the United States, which scores well below South Korea across all the assessments, mm-hmm. um, and started putting in some of these punitive models. And they had a huge pushback from teachers, uh, teacher unions, and parents to the point where uh, – and their, when their most recent president came in, he started dialing back those. And so he recognized that there's kind of this huge political backlash around testing, around this punitive testing, especially that's deprofessionalizing teaching. And he starts taking some of those away, still not back to where it was pre-2003, but uh, then he starts tiling back a little bit of the, the policies around really high, intense uh,
1: testing accountability. Sure, sure. And uh, who who do you think that you should really be paying attention to the book or who do you really hope gets their hands on this book and, and reads it and goes through what, um, if, if you could, if you, if you thought about that potentially.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think this book just ideally is not just for educators. I mean, the, the teachers, it may help them feel better because they understand that somebody else right. uh, around the world, it's not just them in the situation. Yeah. Um, And so, I mean, I'm I'm hoping that this is uh, that by individuals that are are looking at uh, national development, that are looking at uh, larger education systems and are trying to figure out, uh, you know, what what does quality look like and that are paying particular attention to how policy shape behavior, because part of the goals with an accountability system is to shape educator behavior. Now, the important part is understanding what the outcomes of that that kind of policy level right, mm-hmm. is, and for the most part, putting high stakes with testing and then holding either students or teachers accountable has really negative unintention unintentional consequences. Some individuals that are looking at national development and it doesn 't have to be within the education sector specifically although that 's where we should start um, but this trickles into a lot of different ways on how we look at i mean education affects health it affects uh, you know, democratic participation it affects, crime, it affects so many different places, and when it's really narrowed down to testing, teaching to the test, scoring high on testing, um, you're losing a lot of the other potential benefits uh, of education. Okay,
1: fantastic. Well, I know we couldn't get through all of this in, in, in the podcast, and so I, I hope everyone goes and, and, and checks out the various different chapters. But if you could maybe uh, provide the the just last word that you want people to take away from the book. And then also just, we always ask this last question on, on new books network, but but what are you up to next? What are you working on now? Uh, maybe you can let us know what this, uh, right to education index is as well.
0: Okay. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, so I guess my, my last word on the book is that I, uh, I mean, some of the steps back towards less accountability I'm, I'm somewhat optimistic about, but I think that we're really in an interesting time right now, uh, with testing, so the post-2015 agenda and sustainable development goals focuses most of the world's attention beyond just access towards quality. And because of that, because we're looking for a quantifiable measure, and because quality in education isn't uh, that easy, we're going to see more of the expansion of the global testing culture in the post-2015 world. And so, I guess this is a, a call for us to really understand what the culture is and how it affects education and how it really. You know, like I said at the beginning, it really uh, encourages educators to leave whole groups of students out. And it doesn't provide uh, kind of the complex, multi-dimensional array of quality uh, that students deserve. And so that, that's my last, last bit on the book. Sure. Uh, uh, what I'm doing next. Uh, and so, well, right now I'm uh, at Results Educational Fund. I'm, looking, I'm working on developing a right to education index there. Uh, the Right to Education Index is uh, really a civil society-led index that is designed to capture how well countries are following the international right to education framework that all countries, but um, really the United States, is signed on to. Um, and, and South Sudan will be coming up shortly, though, for it. So uh, it's trying to look at issues of access and acceptability and adaptability uh, across that. We Uh, Piloted this last year in five countries, so in Chile, Nigeria, Zimbabwe, Tanzania, and the Philippines. Um, And uh, and we're exciting to expand that, look at 15 countries in 2016, and then we hope that it happens every two years. And it provides, in in my hope, one of my hopes for this is that it provides an alternative measure to this testing, where you're able to see really a a rich, deep uh, understanding of what education should be doing. in a country compared to kind of these very narrow quantifiable uh, pieces of testing. Sure. And so I'm doing that uh, on the testing front. Uh, as I said earlier, I'm, I'm focusing most of my attention on, uh, on testing for accountability or educator based testing that, that puts high stakes on teachers and principals um, and aggregates things at the school level. Uh, so I'll have some work coming out soon. Uh, I've got another chapter with, that's actually edited by uh, Tracy Burns, who's one of the authors in this book, um, on that. Uh, and I hope to have some other work coming out shortly around, around how that works in addition to, uh, what happens when a country has both high stakes for students and high stakes for teachers. Cause there's such a different mechanism. You're, you're really tapping into different actors when you put high stakes on, on educators compared to high stakes on students and the outcomes, the behavioral changes are much different. Um, and so the, the last thing we're doing uh, is with, with some other authors on here, uh, most of our authors from, from Denmark, so uh, Karen Anderson, uh, Christine Kolsalt, and Bjorn Harm, uh, we're starting to put together a, a network of in- individuals that are really interested in, in testing um, with a special interest on testing and how it, uh, and how it engages or doesn't engage um, children with disabilities and deals with that social inclusion piece. And so that's also hopefully coming up down the road.
1: Okay. Yeah. Fantastic. All of that sounds, I think, interesting to our to our audience. And maybe hopefully look for that in the future. We'll provide links to uh, Results Educational Fund as well. Uh, but I just want to say uh, thank you, Dr. William Smith, uh, for joining us today. And I and I encourage everyone to go check out the global testing culture shaping education policy perceptions and practice. Uh, to all my listeners out there, thank you for joining, and I uh, hope you learn.